All right. Well, we just finished our series on Advent, and we're getting ready to start a series on suffering. Uh, so we had this one week in between, uh, and I wanted to share something with you that God has been working on my heart. And hopefully it'll be something that you can take with you into our next series on suffering uh, and into the year ahead. We're going to be hearing from Psalm 63 today, and we'll be looking at the practice of meditation. Now, when you hear that we're talking about meditation, you might have two objections right out of the gate. Uh, You might think of what the world calls meditation, and the world tells us if you want to meditate, you need to empty your mind of all thoughts and then look within yourself to find your strength or your peace. Uh, And that's not what biblical meditation is. Biblical meditation tells us to look beyond ourselves and to fill our minds and our hearts with God and His Word. And that's what we mean when we talk about biblical meditation. We'll talk more about what that looks like. But your other objection might be, okay, that sounds great, but I don't have time for that. My life is crazy. I've got a long commute. I've got the the kids are distracting. You know, work is crazy. My life is not some perfect monastery where I can just sit quietly and, and drink coffee and meditate. And I get it. Mine's not either. But there's there's something more to meditation that we want to get at here, because it wasn't for King David either when he wrote this psalm. If you look at Psalm 63 at the top, you'll see a heading that says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And if you didn't have this heading, you could read the psalm and think, well, of course David would say these things. He was a man after God's own heart. He was the king. God had given him many victories. No wonder he would talk like this. But life was not good for David when he wrote this psalm. The Bible describes two times when David was in the wilderness. Uh, The first time was before David was king, when he was on the run from King Saul, who was chasing him down, trying to kill him. And that was challenging in its own right. But I think this psalm is probably referring to the second time David was in the wilderness, which was even more heartbreaking. We get that clue because of how David describes his enemies in verse 11 and how he describes the king in that verse, which is most likely referring to himself. The second time David was in the wilderness was after he had sinned against God by having, uh, committing adultery with Bathsheba and then killing Uriah, her husband, so that he could take her for his own wife. As a consequence, God told David that the sword would never depart from his house And we see that play out in 2 Samuel, where one of his sons, Amnon, rapes a half-sister, Tamar, and then another son, Absalom, murders Amnon in revenge. That son, Absalom, later turned against David and tried to overthrow him as king, driving him out into the wilderness. So that's the backdrop we have for this psalm. Let's read. Psalm 63 a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, 
my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. What's particularly striking about this psalm is how David responds in satisfaction and delight and comfort despite the terribleness of his circumstances. And while none of us have the same situation as David, we each have our own wilderness. The Bible calls believers pilgrims, and aliens, and sojourners traveling through a land that is not our perfect forever home. Our wilderness doesn't look like a desert, but it's a wilderness just the same. Maybe it's a job or a boss that seems to have it in for us, or a spouse that seems distant and uncaring, or children who seem ungrateful and disobedient, or maybe it's a house that's falling apart, or or bills that are stacking up, or maybe your wilderness is a little more internal. Loneliness, grief, or pain with no relief in sight. Maybe your wilderness doesn't seem too bad right now, but you can relate to feeling restless or unsettled. It just feels like there's something missing in your life. Or maybe you just feel like life is the same old, same old every day. Okay, Jeremy, you might say, I'm in a wilderness. Thanks. Happy Sunday to you too. (laughs) And what does any of this have to do with meditation? Take a look at verses 5 and 6 with me again. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. There is satisfaction to be found. Real, true, deep soul satisfaction that brings joy and praise to our hearts. And verse 6 tells us that David felt that when he remembered God upon his bed and meditated on him in the watches of the night. So in our time together this morning, we're going to break this up into two parts. In the first part, we're going to look at what Psalm 63 teaches us about meditation. And then we're going to look at a couple examples of a meditation to see how we might start meditating in our own life. It's my hope that after this morning, you might be able to start meditating even today. So first, what Psalm 63 teaches us about meditation. The first thing we want to look at is our need to meditate. Our need to meditate. That might sound a little funny because you probably didn't think that you needed to meditate, but we do. Look with me at verse 1 again. 
O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have to admit that when I first read that verse, I was struggling with myself, thinking, gosh, I don't always feel like my soul thirsts for God like that. I don't always feel like I'm fainting for God like that. But as I kept coming back to it, I sort of had this aha moment. I don't think David is saying that he had some special, unique thirst for God that you and I don't have. I think David's point is that as believers, all of us have a built-in thirst for God. Some people have called that the the God-shaped hole in our heart, whereas believers, we feel like we're missing something. And when we try to satisfy that longing with something else, food, entertainment, sex, money, friends, relationships, we never feel satisfied. And that's because we were created to be truly satisfied by God alone. We were created to be with our Creator God. And try as we might, we can't satisfy ourselves with those other things. As believers, I don't think our problem is that we don't desire God. That thirst is there, and we can't escape it. We live in a dry and thirsty land that is constantly showing us how weak we are, how unsatisfied we are, how we're missing something. Our life is parched and faint without God. No, our problem is we don't always recognize God as the object of that thirst, and we don't always run to Him to quench it. As believers, we should, but we often don't. Like that man in the book of Mark that we sang about earlier, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When it really comes down to it, we don't always live like we trust God to satisfy that longing. And so we try to satisfy it ourselves however we can. We need to take our cue from David and cry out to God, God, you are my God. And we need to earnestly seek him to quench our thirst. Okay, you say, I get that I need to find my satisfaction in God, but why does that mean I need to meditate? The word here for meditate means literally to to murmur or mutter. It has a very guttural feel. It's as if someone is so lost in thought with something, so consumed by something that they don't even realize they're muttering and murmuring. They're consumed by it. It's captured their mind. It also has the sense that they are pondering and remembering, putting something at the forefront of their mind. And while we wouldn't have called it meditation, we all do those things every day. Maybe you get lost in your phone or on your computer, reading the news or playing that game. Maybe get lost in that show on TV or Netflix. Maybe get lost in the hecticness of Northern Virginia life, staying all night at the office or moving from activity to activity at home. Or maybe you get lost in your own thoughts, preoccupied about the house, your spouse, your kids, that heartache, that pain, 
longing for that perfect future you've crafted in your mind but don't actually have. We're all meditating on something because we're all thinking about things. We're all desiring things. We're all pursuing things. You may not even realize you're doing it all the time, but whatever it is that occupies your time, that's what you're meditating on. It's what you're allowing yourself to dwell on or focus on. So let me ask you, what are you meditating on? Are you meditating on God and his word? Or are your desires and your thoughts and your actions taking you everywhere but to the throne of God? Now let me be clear here. I'm not saying that any second you spend outside of conscious meditation is a betrayal of Christ and idol worship. But I am asking you to take a look at what you spend your time thinking about and pursuing and doing. If you had that objection before of, I don't have time for this, I'd ask you to take a look at what you do have time for and what you're making time for. And let me just say that if you felt convicted by any of the things I said, just know that I convicted myself first. Uh, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We all need help here. And that leads us to our next point in Psalm 63. So we understand that everyone needs to meditate. We have that thirst that only God can quench. We understand that we all do meditate. It's just a matter of what we're meditating on. And so now we're going to look at what should be the object of our meditation. The object of our meditation. And we're back to verse 1 again. I promise you we'll get out of verse 1 eventually. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. When we're convicted that we're not meditating on God, God has the answer right here. He's calling to us. He says, here I am. I'm right here. Come to me. God loves when his saints cry out to him in dependence, when they acknowledge how much they need him. As we read in verse 2, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. David remembers, he ponders, he meditates times before in the sanctuary when he worshipped God and beheld his power and glory. He's thinking back to times like this, when he was in God's sanctuary, holiness all around him, beholding his power and glory through hearing the powerful word of God. Verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. David reflects on how God's love is more important to him than anything else. His life is nothing without God's love. God's love is everything to him. He counts everything a loss except for God. And he reminds himself of that truth. He sings that truth. He shouts that truth. Even though his family is falling apart, 
even though his kingdom is in jeopardy, even though his own son has turned against him and has driven him from his kingdom, he is going to the only place he can find comfort and satisfaction. He is putting the steadfast, never-changing love of God at the forefront of his mind. He could easily get distracted in feeling sorry for himself, thinking about all the ways he messed up to help create this situation. Or he could spend all his time trying to map out a counterattack, how he could piece his family back together, or how he could get his kingdom back. And to be fair, he probably did some of both of those things. But what Psalm 63 records, the most important thing that he did and could have done, in the midst of his chaos, he puts the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love of God at the forefront of his mind. His life might be in chaos, but God's love for him is always there. And instead of meditating on his problems or things that he might have done to try to soothe the pain or get out of it, David meditated on the only one who could bring comfort and the only one who can bring real healing and salvation. Last thing we want to look at from Psalm 63 is the result of David's persisting in meditation. The result of his persisting in meditation. Let's read verses 5 through 8 again. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. If you're looking for meditation to solve all your problems, that's not the result we see here. David didn't get his family all back together, big and happy. He did get his kingdom back, but only after his general killed his son Absalom. David's circumstances weren't changed through meditation, but the state of his heart was. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. God didn't take away David's wilderness. God was with him in the wilderness. And God comforted him and satisfied him in the wilderness as a result of his meditation on God. We see that connection in verse 6 with that little word, when. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. That word when is the if kind of when, as in if you finish your dinner, then you can have dessert. If you don't finish your dinner, you won't get dessert. If David meditates on God, that's when God will give him satisfaction. If he remembers and meditates on his problems, he will be thirsty. He will faint. But when he meditates on God, 
when he remembers God's love and power and glory, that's when he is satisfied. It doesn't take all our problems or suffering away, but it brings a peace, a comfort, even praise that only God can. We also see in these verses that God, that the satisfaction didn't come because David meditated once. If you're like me, you can always be looking for one and done solutions to our problems. But that's not what we see in David here. The satisfaction and praise came because he persisted in meditation. Every night, David would remember God and meditate on his word and his promises in the watches of the night when he was on guard duty, or perhaps when he woke up in the morning or in the middle of the night, he would remember, instead of being consumed by his worries or fears, he would remember God's steadfast love. He meditated on the power and glory and presence of God so much that it was almost like God's presence was casting a shadow over him. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. He reminded himself of how God had been faithful to him in his life, with the lions and the bears out with the sheep at night, or with the Philistine army. David persisted in meditation. And that makes sense, right? Because the purpose of meditation isn't to change our circumstances. It's to remind ourselves of who God is, of how God loves us. It's to ponder and reflect the love of God and put it in the front of our hearts and mind so that it can transform us from one degree of glory to another. It's so that we can commune with our Lord and Savior. If you find that God seems distant or far, and then follow David's example and meditate on how God has been helpful to you throughout your life. Fill your mind with his power and glory and love so that you can drink the living water and so that you can lay down your burden at the feet of your Savior so he can give you rest in your wilderness. Let me just say that just because God gives us satisfaction and comfort when we meditate on him, that doesn't mean that it banishes away sorrow or pain forevermore. We do have that promise, but not this side of heaven. God's comfort can often go through a deeper and different route. Not long after David wrote this, his general killed his son Absalom, who was trying to overthrow him. And while that meant that David's kingdom was secure, here was David's response. David cried out in pain, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. David's response doesn't take away from what he just said about God. God is with us in our pain. And he comforts us and satisfies us in ways that we couldn't even imagine. Even while he's catching our tears in his nail-pierced hands. And if that's where you are this morning, keep persisting. 
I'd encourage you to check out Psalm 42 and Psalm 143. Make those your prayers and your meditations. John Piper with Desiring God does a great sermon that's available online on Psalm 42, and I encourage you to take a listen to that. But one last point, briefly, before we go through some examples of how we can meditate. One reason why meditation is so important is because our spiritual life deals with invisible realities. We walk by faith and not by sight. But that means that we can get lulled into a false sense that this physical world is all there is, what we see and feel and touch. And that's why those physical meditations, those physical distractions can seem so powerful to us because they're right in front of us. They seem to offer the most help, the most comfort. But our spirits are dying of thirst. They are faint. We were not meant to live in this sin-filled world apart from our Creator. So to nourish our spirit, we need to remind ourselves of these spiritual realities. We need to constantly be preaching to ourselves of who we are in Christ, of what Christ has done for us, of how He loves us. We need to believe these invisible realities. We need to pray and ask God to help us believe that he has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That we fight this good fight of faith with the power of the Holy Spirit and the risen Christ living inside of us. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We need to believe that Christ is our only hope and salvation. In Christ alone, our hope is found. He is our light our strength, our song, our cornerstone, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. So let's get really practical. We've seen some examples of how David meditated on God in Psalm 63, but what could this look like for you and me? First, let me just say that the most beautiful thing about all of this is you can do this anytime, anywhere. Maybe the best time is right when you wake up in the morning. Or maybe it's as you're going to bed at night. Maybe you can linger in your car before you get out to go to work in the morning. Or maybe you can steal a few minutes at lunch, retreat to the restroom, whatever it takes. You can do it anytime, anywhere. And think with me for a moment. When David was hiding out in the wilderness, he didn't have his commentaries and his Bible and his prayer journal and a highlighter over here and a cup of coffee over here. That's not real life sometimes. Those are great things. They're wonderful things. But life in the wilderness is messy and gritty. And sometimes it catches us off guard. And so we need to be able to do this anywhere. So how do we do that? I'll offer you three suggestions and then we'll look at a, a couple of brief examples. Number one, we need to memorize God's Word. I know that we can usually pull up the Bible on our phones and have it whenever we need it, but that's not always possible. And we need God's Word in our heart, not on our phone. When we wake up in the middle of the night, or when we're on the metro and aren't getting reception, or when we're in the middle of that heated conversation and we need that promise or that power from God's Word, we need to have learned to have memorized to have at the ready God's powerful word. 
I'm not saying we need to memorize the whole Bible, but there is so much worth, so much value in memorizing some key promises or vivid pictures of God's love and power so that we can call them to mind whenever we need. Two, we need to be participating in these meditations. We're not just reading or reciting something as if they were magic words. We are praying it. We are pleading with God, asking Him to help us believe it, asking Him to help us find our satisfaction in Him, not in whatever this other thing is. We are praying through our meditation. And third, stay with me here. I know some of you will say, oh, that's not for me. And I would have said that too. But God's changed that for me. And maybe he will for you too. We need to learn and sing out loud or to yourself spiritually rich songs. Don't miss in Psalm 63 that David said that he sang and praised God through his meditations. One of the richest things I've done in my spiritual life is starting to listen and sing spiritual songs, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. For me, that's usually on my way home from work in the car or while I'm in the car riding errands. There's just something powerful about music, both because it's easy to remember and gets caught in our head, but it also awakens our heart toward God. It's not for nothing that we see both in Ephesians and Colossians that we are told to encourage one another with songs, psalms, and spiritual songs. If you want some suggestions, the church has a Spotify playlist that has all the songs we sing on Sunday morning. It's a great resource. You probably already know a lot of them too. Uh, But hear me, I'm not saying that you can't listen to other music. But what I am saying is that music is a meditation. And listening to spiritually rich songs is a powerful way to meditate on God and find your satisfaction and praise in Him. You can do these things anytime, anywhere. Especially if you feel tempted with something. Maybe when we were going through the second commandment, uh, when Doug preached on that, there was an idol that God revealed in your heart. Whenever you're tempted by that idol, take a second, pray, meditate, say, God, please help me believe that you will bring me more satisfaction than this idol. So let's take a look at a couple of quick examples. And it really can be this quick. It should be often, but it can be quick. Let's say you're feeling guilty or ashamed. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You might pray, God, thank you that you have fully and completely cleansed me from my sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. Help me trust that you have taken my sin away from me as far as the east is from the west. Help me trust that when you look at me, you don't see my sin. You look on me and see love and see me clothed in Jesus' righteousness. You might sing to yourself, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more or I will glory in my Redeemer. 
not saying you have to sing the whole song. Sometimes just a line or two or even just the chorus can be strengthening. Or maybe when you're feeling alone or unloved, 1 Peter 5.10, and after you have suffered a little while in this wilderness, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you in gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. You might pray, God, help me believe that you are with me, that you, God himself, will restore and strengthen me both during this life and when I run into your arms in heaven. Help me believe that when you look at me, you're not disappointed or disinterested, but when you look at me, you love me so much you burst into song. Help me feel your love and help me rest in your arms. You might sing, how he loves us, or how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. Or maybe when you're tempted, there's that idol that you're wrestling with. 1 Corinthians 10:13. no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Or 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When I am weak, he is strong. Maybe you'd pray, God, show me my way of escape. Help me run through it. Help me trust that even though I feel weak right now, you are with me. Your Holy Spirit is inside of me, and you are strong. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Help me believe that it is in you that I am satisfied, not this other thing. You might sing to yourself, all I have is Christ, or in Christ alone. Finally, when you're hurting or scared. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 121, verses 1 through 3, I lift up my eyes to the hill. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. You might pray, God, help me. I know you understand my pain. I know Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I know he suffered in my place when he did nothing wrong so that you could make me yours. I know I need to trust you, but I don't understand. I can't see what's next. Help me follow your lead. Help me step out on the waters like Peter and trust you. 
I'm not strong enough to hold on. I need you to hold me fast. Help me cling to Christ. You might sing, he will hold me fast. Or on Christ, the solid rock I stand. Friends, we live in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We live in the wilderness. Only God can satisfy us. Run to him. Meditate on him. Persist in meditation. And he will bring you comfort and delight and satisfaction. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for all that you have done for us. God, help us remember, because we are so easily distracted, that it is only through you that we find satisfaction. Father, when we are thirsty, when we feel the wilderness of this home, this land, help us run to you. Help us trust and believe that only you will satisfy, not these other things. And help us persist in it. Thank you that you will bring us delight and comfort and satisfaction. Amen.